Good morning. It's good to be back with you folks again. It's, I think, just over a year, isn't it, since Katrina's induction? Just around a year. Um, and yes, we do now live in Aberdeen. We made that move uh, at Easter, and I now live in two places. I feel slightly disjointed and even more disorientated than often. Um, but I'm getting there as I manage to bring two different places to live nearer together and make one life again out of two. I'm also privileged to be invited to be here today because we all well understand the situation with Katrina and yourselves and that mixture of anxiety and trust that there must always be for Christian people who encounter the unexpected and when the unexpected means that we have new questions being asked and perhaps new answers defined. And so often these answers found in our relationship with God, made real through our relationships with each other. The call to worship is a responsive call and it's an affirmative call. This is the time to worship God. He brings us life. This is the time to sing his praise. He brings us joy. This is the time to pray to him. He brings us forgiveness and renewal. This is the time to hear his word. He brings us guidance and hope. This is the time to show your love for him. He brings us love beyond our desire. One of the most remarkable expositions of God's love that is beyond our deserving is contained in the revelations of divine love of Julian of Norwich. Let's hear some of her words before we then sing what I think, just me, but I think, is the greatest hymn on the divine love ever written. And it's by Charles Wesley, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. But first, these words from the revelations of divine love. I learned that love was our Lord's meaning, and I saw for certain, both here and elsewhere, that before ever he made us, God loved us, and that his love has never slackened, nor ever shall. In this love, all his works have been done, and in this love, he has made everything serve us. And in this love, our life is everlasting. Our beginning was when we were made. But the love in which he made us never had beginning. In it, we have our beginning. And all this we shall see in God forever. May Jesus grant this. Amen. I'm reading from the Good News Bible. We want to remind you, brothers, of the trouble we had in the province of Asia. The burdens laid upon us were so great and so heavy that we gave up all hope of staying alive. We felt that the death sentence had been passed on us. But this happened so that we should rely not on ourselves, but only on God, who raises the dead. From such terrible dangers of death, he saved us and will save us. And we have placed our hope in him that he will save us again, as you help us by means of your prayers for us. So it will be that the many prayers for us will be answered, and God will bless us. And many will raise their voices to him in thanksgiving for us. 
We are proud that our conscience assures us that our lives in this world, and especially our relations with you, have been ruled by God-giving frankness and sincerity by the power of God's grace, and not by human wisdom. We write to you only what you can read and understand. But even though you now understand us only in part, I hope that you will come to understand us completely, so that in the day of our Lord Jesus you can be as proud of us as we shall be of you. I was so sure of all this that I made plans at first to visit you in order that you might be blessed twice, for I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and again on my way back in order to get help from you for my journey to Judea. In planning this, do I appear fickle? When I make my plans, do I make them from selfish motives, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God speaks the truth, my promise to you was not a yes and a no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was preached among you by Silas, Timothy and myself, is not one who is yes and no. On the contrary, he is God's yes, for it is he who is the yes to all God's promises. This is why, through Jesus Christ, our Amen is said to the glory of God. It is God himself who makes us, together with you, sure of our life in union with Christ. It is God himself who set us apart, who has placed his mark of ownership upon us, and who has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of all that he has in store for us. Amen. Thank you, Edith. It's always embarrassing when you overhear people who have fallen out trying to sort it out. And that's what we're doing in 2 Corinthians. The word to think about, first of all, is the word vacillating. Or hedging your bets. Or being unpredictable. Self-serving. Inconsistent. Somebody who says yes, but actually means no, but doesn't want to say so. Or someone who says no and then changes their mind and says yes. So you never know where you are with them. Friendship is something that requires no vacillation. Friendships don't survive vacillation. What's needed is faithfulness, consistency, an attitude of affection, support and affirmation that can be depended on. So trust in a friendship is built brick by brick by brick. But a friendship can be demolished in wall-sized chunks when a promise is broken, a confidence exposed. A friend is somebody whose commitment to us is not yes and no, but yes. A friend is someone whose default position towards us is faithful, full of faith in us. But a friend is also someone who isn't a yes person, that is, who will simply always say yes to please you. Somebody said, cherish the friend who tells you a harsh truth, wanting ten times more to tell you a loving lie. That sounds a wee bit complicated. 
Oscar Wilde puts it more succinctly, true friends stab you in the front. (laughs) Now, in a friendship that matters, or in the friendship that matters most to you in your life, yes will be the underlying assumption of that relationship. The primary premise, the default disposition of goodwill and good-heartedness towards you and you to them. Because where love and friendship exist, even no will be said in the spirit of yes. That is, the person is affirmed, though the response may be no. And out of that kind of reliable companionship comes trust. Now, if anything I've said in the last few minutes is halfway true, that helps us to understand what's going on in 2 Corinthians. Because for Paul, the problem now is that the Corinthians don't trust him. He promised to come and he didn't. He said yes, but his actions were no. He's all talk, actually. And now what you get here in this letter is him explaining himself and self-justification. Trying to rebuild that trust brick by brick but it had been badly damaged by his non-appearance and his broken promise. So there was a crisis of confidence. There was a corrosion of that trust. And an erosion also of affection, which is actually part of the fuel that keeps a friendship going. Now, most times if we think about it, when somebody starts to self-justify themselves, it all sounds hollow. It's very difficult to get back to that place where a friendship was before the sense of being let down happened. And so Paul explains, he's not vacillating. He does care. They do matter. This is an argument he knows he needs to win. Because if they don't trust him, they won't trust his gospel. And if they don't trust his gospel, they won't trust God. And that for Paul is unthinkable. So, he raises the ante if you'll excuse the expression. And he says, as surely as God is faithful. So this is no longer about Paul's excuses. This is no longer about slippage in a relationship. This isn't about explanations and rationalizations and self-justification. This is about integrity and trust. This is about what is ultimate in the relationship we tend to call our best friend. And if your best friend is God, then that relationship becomes even more ultimate. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's not yes and no, it is always yes. Whatever evidence points the other way, my broken promise, which I'm trying to explain why I couldn't keep the promise, but whatever else points the other way, God is faithful and I serve a faithful God and seek to live in accordance with that faithfulness. Because in Christ, God's word is always yes. In Christ, God is always for us. In him, all God's promises find their fulfillment and completion. So whatever else you can't trust, you can't not trust God. Too many negatives, let me say it again. Whatever else you cannot trust, You cannot not trust God. That's Paul's argument. Right. But what about those times in our lives 
when it seems that all God's promises and all God's blessings and all our hopes are called in question. And it does indeed seem as if God is saying, yes, yes, and then no, no, or yes and no. One of the most famous quotations in the last 20 years in the world of professional football was Kenny Dalglish's response as to whether or not he was going to take a certain job. And he said, vacillating, eh, maybe he's I, eh, maybe he's no. Translation? Mm, yes. Mm, no. Translation? No telling you. That works for Kenny Dalglish at a press conference. It will not work for us in relation to God, who sometimes in our lives, if we're honest, seems to have moved the goalposts, taken away what he gave, contradicted what he promised. This church called Katrina as its minister last year. And the time since has been Delightfully, a time of deepening trust and growing affection and widening vision and renewed hopefulness. And that's all great and to be expected. And the news of the last couple of weeks seems to somehow or other cast some kind of question mark over that. Has God changed his mind about her calling, about Hillhead's promised and promising future? Is God's call a yes then and a no now? Is God's love ambiguous? Is God vacillating? Absolutely not. The Son of God was not yes and no. In him it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is yes. So whatever else all this heart-searching and heart-aching means, and however disappointed and frightened we feel, whatever else this journey for Katrina and this fellowship takes you, However much questions of anger and fear and perplexity rattle us, we are in Christ. And you are, and she is, in Christ. And in him, every one of God's promises is yes. And I want you to think about that word, yes. We took time earlier to explore the different ways in which it could be used. It is a life-giving word when someone says yes. It is a permissive word. It is an affirmative and an affirming word. It's a confidence-giving word. A steadying and reassuring word. Yes, to all our longings for meaning and purpose, yes. To our hunger for love and our human thirst for understanding, yes. To our yearning for friendship and satisfying relationships and our long waiting for peace in the world? Yes. To our need for help and our cry for grace, our desperate demand for answers and comfort? Yes. And how does God's yes come to us? How do we hear it? Where do we see it? Can we feel it? Does God's yes touch us and enfold us and hold us? Let me tell you a story about a wee girl of three who at the age of three was only able to make three sounds 
And they weren't recognizable sounds. And somebody who is a speech therapist began working with her seven years ago. Twice a week, almost every week, for an hour and a half, training the child to begin to say, recognize, and build words. And from words to phrases, and from phrases to sentences, and in the whole process, moving towards communicated meaning. And sitting not all that long ago in a committee meeting, hearing this story told, we were told that sometime in early April, said young girl at the age of 10 said flawlessly, equilateral triangle. How does God's yes come to us? How do we hear it? Where do we see it? Can we feel it? Does God's yes touch us, embrace us, enfold us, hold us, help us? Yes, it does. And it comes with the same patient expression of care and support and presence that we make possible to each other in the Christian community. So that when we say we are the body of Christ, we recognize that in us, is enfleshed, the love of God. And God in Christ loves each of us and each other through us. Yes is our embrace of each other's lives. A recognition of our needs and who we are. Never then dismiss that great claim of Paul, you are the body of Christ. Established, sealed, and anointed by the Spirit, he goes on to say. You embody the great yes of God to human longing. God dwells in your hearts through faith. By faith, by the Spirit, you are in Christ. And in him, every one of God's promises is yes. So, as the body of Christ, you embody God's yes to each other and to your minister. And you embody God's yes to the ministry of this church. Because in the coming months, by your kindness and love, by every practical deed of help, by quiet considered prayer, by faithfully carrying on this church's ministry, by allowing time and space to Katrina to go through all that we've gone through and to recover, by all of that, you plan for your future and you are proving that God does not vacillate. That in Christ and in you, the body of Christ, every one of God's promises is a yes. In 2001, Stanley Howard Vaz was, was appointed, nominated, and successfully the theologian of the year in the United States. Stanley Howard Vaz is a Texan, and he looks like a gunslinger. When he comes to a lecture, he comes with jeans, the checked shirt, sometimes the bandana, the big buckle in the belt, and cowboy boots. And he wears all of that because he's truculent, his word. He's confrontational. I heard them at a conference in Aberdeen. I may have told you this before. It was Jean Vanier. In which he said, Jean Vanier, with all his gentleness and care for those who have special needs. When Jean Vanier, when something goes wrong in the world, he said, Jean sees a wound, sees a wound to be healed. I see an enemy to be defeated. Maybe we need both. But Stanley Hauervaz then went on to tell why it is that for years now he has been the premier theologian, now along with John Swinton from Aberdeen, 
who has looked at theology and disability and asked questions about who is able and who is disabled. And he tells the story of his first encounter going across the road from Duke University to a place where there was supported accommodation for young people and children with special needs. And a young Down syndrome boy ran up to him with his arms open and without thinking, however, I lifted him and then realized he was heavy. But the boy looked into his face and was quite clearly entirely safe and secure and confident that he would be held. For half an hour, Hauervaz carried this young lad around as he was shown around the facilities and said, my arms got sorer and sorer and I was convinced they were getting longer and longer as I carried him. But when he looked into my face, I knew I couldn't put him down. And at the end of the tour, he did indeed place him down and then wondered how to move his arms. And he tells this story with tears in his eyes and an audience listening with tears in theirs. Because there in one story is exactly what it means for every one of us to either be the person who carries or to be the person who is carried. And you can be quite sure if you haven't discovered it already, but I'm sure you all have, that there are times when we carry and there are times when we are carried. So in a church, there aren't the strong and the weak, the able and the unable. Because now and again, we all need to be carried. And at that point, we need to hear and feel and see the yes of those who care for us. And even if our arms do ache, and our hearts have to work hard because we embody the yes of God, we will carry on carrying. Because that's what fellowship actually is. It's not the nice stuff we talk about with our cup of tea and our marshmallows. Fellowship is sore arms from carrying the other whom in Christ we love. This church here has a long history. This church has had great days of influence, of cultural richness, of spiritual inquisitiveness, of theological carefulness, of social awareness and responsiveness for decades and decades well into its second century. All of that is not gone, but it is changing. And actually, Katrina is now a major catalyst in that process of change and in that forward movement and impetus. She has come here under the call of God and the call of this congregation to fulfill a ministry. That ministry will be fulfilled. The kind of minister she is, well, actually, I think Toni Morrison in one of her novels captures how at least I, you can tell me later if you agree, think of the person who is your minister. She is a friend of mind. She gather me, man. The pieces I am, she gather them and give them back to me all in the right order. It's good, you know, when you get a woman who is a friend of your mind. That's a ministry that we knew from the beginning was a ministry that would fit so clearly where the congregation here had its hopes and its thoughts and its trajectories for the future. That remains your call and hers. And so you do today stand, as we all do every Sunday anyway, between the past and the future. You see, this, is, this hour this morning 
And now this minute at the end of a sermon is a knife edge. It's the knife edge of the present because the past is already past. The future is still to come and we don't see it. So what would we have? We have now. And in that sense of the knife edge of the present, Dag Hammarskjöld wrote in his little diary, published after he died, for those who don't know, Dag Hammarskjöld, Secretary General of the United Nations in the 60s, disappeared in a plane crash while on a peacemaking mission. And in his book markings, he said this, For all that is past, thank you. And for all that is to come, yes. And all God's people said, yes, and with a bit more enthusiasm with that, all God's people said, and let's hear our text again. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no. But in him, it is always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the Amen to the glory of God. Amen. We'll have a moment of reflection and then Brian is going to lead us in prayers of intercession. God is to be trusted for all the promises of God have their yes in Jesus let us listen for God let us pray the ears of God are tuned to each one of us never missing the fragile whispers within us hearing the hidden messages within our messages, listening for the silent sounds of longing, choosing the hesitant voices from within the louder, more confident sounds. In all honesty, God, we would sometimes prefer not to open a conversation with you or with each other. When we consider the problems, the challenges, the conflicts and the pressures of both the commonplace of our everyday lives as well as the world as a whole, it can be easier to pretend that we do not hear, see or feel your yes to us and your invitation for us to say yes to you. And yet, still you call to us, and we respond 
hesitantly and inadequately perhaps, but the fact that we are gathered here in this company this morning shows that we are willing to try. And so we pray for others. We pray for our world and for people and places and events which may be in our common thoughts this morning. For the complexity surrounding the marking of the anniversary of the Twin Towers tragedy. For the country of Mexico seemingly embarked on a spiral of lawlessness and violence. For the international tension regarding Iran. For the tentative restarting of talks between Palestine and Israel. For recovery and reconstruction following the floods in Pakistan, which is still in the news, and in Haiti, which has largely disappeared from our news. For the economic worries which beset people worldwide, sometimes as a consequence of poverty, sometimes as a consequence of overconsumption of our planet's resources and economic greed. and closer to home here in Glasgow, for those surviving another day in poverty, in disadvantage, in the uncertainty of asylum-seeking, in the life-sapping prospect of living on the streets as autumn looms. We pray for ourselves. for our individual lives, sometimes encouraged, sometimes discouraged, sometimes excited, sometimes scared, sometimes happy, sometimes sad. For our lives in this community of faith, carried along with renewed hope and expectation and energy, And within that, embracing uncertainty, anxiety, and worry. For those of our community who are recovering from illness or treatment or surgery, and for those who are coming to terms with new illness or incapacity or are anxious about treatment which lies ahead, and particularly at this time for Katrina, our minister. In the silence, we remember them all. God of all new life, We pray that you will continue to care tenderly for the life, creativity and relationships within our fellowship here. 
We pray that the work we do week by week will bring life in all its fullness to others in our community, our city, our nation and our world. Show us, Lord, the places and relationships where you find a need for your love, where you find a need for your yes to be heard, that we may share with you in making this earth a home for all, a safe and healing place, a peaceful and kindly place, a place where justice prevails and flows like a river through the whole of life, a place of good news. And so we commit ourselves to go forward, embracing afresh God's yes, trying to care for each other, giving and receiving in the sharing of gifts and graces, that we may say yes to the transforming life of God. On the road of life, we find God walking alongside, as though knowing where we are going, Travelling with our questions and our fears. Sharing with us the wisdom of one who knows the journey. Because he has never really left the road of life for the greener fields of heaven. The word to us in Christ is that we are never left alone, nor forsaken. For he has said yes to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Brian. On the order of service, there is a closing response after which the benediction. Let's say the closing response together. God to enfold us, Christ to uphold us, Spirit to keep us in heaven's light. So may God grace us, heal and embrace us, lead us through darkness into light. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forever.